0: Welcome to My Life, Chselis Applied, episode 460. This program is in merit of Baruch bin Yoman ben Menuchalana and Miriam bas Sarah Yukusil ben Leia Rachel and Rachel bas Farkash, dedicated by Pinchas Todris ben Miriam and Sarah Bas Rachel Altois. So we are uh, after Tishabov post-Tisha and now begins the elevation after Tisha B'Av marking the five tragic events and above all, the destruction of both temples on that sad day. But we know, as we discussed, all of that contains within a tremendous amount of power. Even negative energy is energy and even more powerful energy. And now we begin to tap into it. By elevating, as the moon continues its growth, it's waxing until it becomes a full moon on the 15th of Av, when the Mishnah tells us that there were no holidays in Israel like the holiday of the 15th of Av and Yom Kippur. The Mishnah, at the end of Tish. So that's the period in time, and that's the energy of our time right now, which is that it's about celebrating and recognizing that any of the negative events really is a stepping stone. Seyser amnas livnes, A raising of a building with a Z in order to build a greater building, the third temple, without the transformation of the world into a divine home. And yet we do go through the challenging times. That's the process. The Kabbalistic terminology and the way Chassidus explains it, that the created a big tzimtzum, the tzimtzum conceals the divine. But the purpose is tzimtzum b'shvil ha'gili. The concealment is in order to reveal. So if you ask, what is the energy of this time? What is the significance of, what is the, of this period in time? It's exactly that. As we move from Tisha B'av to Hamisha Aser B'Av. And from there it only grows. Because that will lead two weeks later to Rosh The month of El, the month of Rachamim. That leads into Rosh Hashanah and to Yom, Yom Kippur all built upon the events that happened before, which is why this month of OV is actually the mazl is Aryeh, says the Shalah, Arye Leo. Aryeh is four letters. It's a Russian Hashanah an acronym for El Rosh Hashanah Yemakipurim Kippurim Because from OV, from the mazl of OV, Aryeh, which on one hand, as the Medrash Yalkar says, that, that was the month, the month of, of Aryeh was the month when the Aryeh, the lion, the Vuchad Netzer, destroyed the lion, the Beis Amigdash. like Bishvil HaGili, Amanas, on condition that in the month of the lion, in the month of Aryeh, will come the lion, Ayeshoi Milayira, the Ebrister, Hashem compared to a lion, and rebuild the lion, the Beis So in Judaism, there's no such thing as one or the other. The destruction itself is very much part of the construction. It's one part of one process. And that's the period we're in right now, as we move from of to the 15th of Av and going from there. So we'll focus now on the Chamishas above, which is this week, the 15th of Av. We'll also talk about some post-Tisha above talk about Pashas Ekev. This week is Pashas Ekev. As well as some other related material connected to the summer, some follow-up, an interesting program you can look forward to. It's a good time to announce. Our website is chassidahsupply.com where you can submit any question. Nothing's off-limits. Nothing's taboo. To the anonymous far, uh, completely anonymously, to the forum at chassidahsupply.com. And please, God, I will respond to that. We have a backup. It's true. There's a lot of questions that come in faster than I can respond to, but I do get to them all, as well as you can check out all the archives of previous programs and so many other materials that you can use, resources, Hasidic resources. I will also use this opportunity to invite you. You know, I teach every morning I Ayin Beis. We're coming now to the last, we're in the last 20 pages of a Hemshech that goes for 1,500, over 1,500 pages. So we're in volume three and I'm um, up to page four. <laughs> Fourteen. So they're doing this eleven years, up to page 1450, uh, page 1455, 56 actually, and it'll go till 1477. So, long hemshchik, and please go to chizusupply.com for more details. We will be doing a sim. We're planning it now. We'll see how it's going to evolve, and I invite you to that as well as I said, other resources you can find at chizusupply.com. Okay, so let's go to I mentioned the Mishnah, I mentioned the Gemara, talks about it at length, at the end of the Masech First time you hear it, it sounds like Chamisha Yem Kippur, everybody knows, the holiest day of the year. But And yet, especially when you learn the Chassidus, you understand the correlation and the, and the connection. Because both of them are coming after a destruction. Tishabov is the days that preceded for 15th Av. Yom Kippur came as forgiveness for the Chet HaEgel, the building of the golden calf that was on the that on the 17th of Tammuz is when Moshe comes down from the mountain and sees it and shattered the tablets. So it's the beginning of the three weeks. Goes back up on the mountain during this whole period of time through El, and will come down Yom Kippur with forgiveness. So Yom Kippur is the repair, the tshuva, the atonement, the, the kaporah. And mechila kapara after that destruction. The 15th of Av explains that Rizal. Why is it such a great Yom tif? The Gemara gives many different reasons all well connected to unity. But what's the underlying point? Every full moon is a powerful day. every Of every month. And yet... We don't say the same thing even on Pesach, which is the 15th of the month of Nisan. We don't say it about Sukkot is the 15th of the month of Tishrei. Purim is the 14th and 15th day of the month of Odr, because it comes after Yerida Atsumah, after such a descent. Also, destruction, destruction of the temples, the end of the three weeks. So, Chamisha Asabav and Yom Kippur both come as a result, an outgrowth of negative things. And that negative brings to something far greater, the Yom Tevim, the Yom Tevim yisro. It expresses itself specifically in the manner of Sheduchim, as the Gemara explains, as the Mishnah says, that the Bnei Yishalayim, Bnei Yisro would go out into the fields, and that's when they would meet, obviously all in a they can in a holy way, on the 15th Av, which is Shidduch, represents the Yuchud of Kuchibricho and Knesset Yisro, marriage. What marriage? Because was mat and teda It was a chasana between the Jewish people between the chasana and the kal the ebishta and the Jewish people through the teda and then they breached the contract by building a golden calf infidelity they cheated on God so to speak and what happens in return? Moshe Rabbeinu after the breaking of the tablets goes back on the mountain and wants to regain favor wants to re- Reconcile, and he ultimately does. So Yom Kippur is the ultimate Yom because that's like the conclusion when Hashem says "Salach and gives them the second tablets. So it was the marriage is consummated. It will ultimately be completely consummated in the Mashiach when it'll be the Nesuyn and the complete permanent union of heaven and earth, of God and the people in this world. So, what better way does that captured? Chamisha Asiba'ov, that the, the B'nai Yisrael go out into the fields and the Shidduchim are created on that special day. Shidduchim below, connecting and reflecting the Shidduch between Kuchibrich and Knesset Yisrael, between heaven and earth, between the divine and existence. So that's the general significance of Chamisha Ba'av, especially Ape The reasons in the Gemara, all, as the Rebbe explains in a number of Sikhs, all indicate unity. Unity, of course, is the counterforce, an antidote to sinas chinam, to baseless hatred and divisiveness that destroyed the temple. In broader terms, disunity is a fragmented world, a world that is fragmented, disconnected from Hashem Achad on a revealed level. So the idea of destruction, the idea of dissonance, every form of disconnect is a form of disunity. What's the solution? Unity. So all the events that happen on the fifteenth of Av all reflect unity, the unity ultimately of God and us, which in turn brings back the Shina down below, which is the Beis Hamikdash. So the fifteenth of Av is all symbolizes this this, connect, this connection. The full moon is Yichud Shimshu also Yichud of and Malchus, the sun and the moon. A full moon that shines on Earth means that the sun is perfectly reflecting the entire sun. The moon is perfectly reflecting the entire sun to earth. So the Mashpee and the Za and Malchus in the language of Chassidus, are completely facing one another. Lahayat audits as they radiate to earth. This moon is always facing the sun, but it's in outer space. The whole purpose of the sun and moon is to shine in this world. When do we see the full moon? When do we see that in the fullest sense? is on the 15th of the month. But not just a regular month, but the month when the Melavonim Malchus was. There was a begam in the Levon. Malchus was wounded, was injured, was hurt. And here we are healing and repairing that malchus. The connection between elakus, godliness, and, and earth. So that's the significance. And what does it mean in our personal lives? It means the day of adding in unity. In Avis Yisrael and agdus Yisrael, connecting with each other. Demonstrating it in thought, in speech, and action. The foundation of all of Teira, that's the call of the hour, and especially in connection to a week like this, and that in turn creates Yichudus through and ripples through all of Sei all the way to the highest level, the mitzvah of LaYachidus Hashem, to bring to to reveal the divine unity Hashem Echad in existence. Which of course when Mashiach comes, it will be Vahayu, Shemachad or Shemachad and That also in the revelation will be everything we'll see, the total unity and the total connection between existence and the divine, the creator and the creation. So that's the message of Jahdhus and it reflects itself in our personal Aveda. So some specific questions. Um so that answers what do we learn from this day? Some more specific questions. Does it make a difference if we say tubav or chamisha osav? I believe the Rebbe always used the expression chamisha Asav," which is the expression in the Mishnah. I, I've heard that people said the Rebbe avoided saying tubav. Same thing with tubishvat. Even though I think in one place we did find the letter that the Rebbe writes, which says tubishvat. I don't know if there's a reason for it. Is it more because it's slang? Whereas hamisha Os is the formal name. Two, of course, is tezvov. But um, if anyone has more information on this, I've done some research, I couldn't really find information where the is did the Rebbe negate ever saying it? I don't recall seeing that, even though vaguely there's something that, uh, that I remember, but I remember the details. So this is a question I'm posing for everyone. So I don't know if there's anything wrong with saying to above, saying the Rebbe's the is language. The, the Teda language, Khamisha um, as So if there are any more details on this, please share, and I'll share them here. Okay. Why is it customary to start wishing each other Ksivak Simatevan, So first it says in Svarim, I believe in Bnei Saskar. It says that it's Gematria, Chemisha Osibov, is Gematri Chesiv Chesimateva. The reason, as I just explained, number one is that Aryeh, when we're still in the 15th of Av, when is the positive side of Aryeh? We see that in the 15th of Av. And what is it building? It's building El, the acronym, Rosh Hashanah, Yema Kippurim, and Hashanarab. So it makes sense that on the 15th of Av, we begin to acknowledge the idea of Chesiv Chesimateva, the new year. The new year that's built out of of, and fifteenth of Av is a significant day where that process begins. He believe, he explains other reasons as well, but that would be the most basic one that I would that, that I would emphasize. Uh, the Rebbe does bring about Chavav. Chavav is the Rebbe's father's site. We'll talk about that next week. Uh, Chavav is forty days before Rosh Hashanah. So Ad Yem Kedim Yitziru Savlat. 40 days before our birth, before the birth of the human race, of the world, Rosh Hashanah. That's also significant in that context. But here we're talking about Chamisha as What it means personally is more than just a technical thing that you say, it means that we're recognizing the cycle of life. The Jews left Mitzrayim, 15th of Nisan, middle of Nisan, full moon of Nisan. 49, 50 days later, they received the Torah at Sinai. Forty days later, the seventeenth of Tammuz, the breaking of the tablets after the building of the golden calf. Forty days later is Shchaydeshel, when Moshe comes down the second time, not successful. And forty days later than that is Yom Kippur. Chamishas above is essentially uh, a week, two weeks before Shchaydeshel, Moshe is on the mountain begging for forgiveness. So you see here a cycle. It's not disconnected. All the way from Nissan going all the way to Yom Kippur. And then Sukkot, of course, is a celebration of Yom Kippur. So we learn from this tremendous lesson in life. Life is a cycle. Life is a journey. We're always traveling. And even when there's dips and twists and turns and dips and high moments, highs and lows, I should say, think of it like a heartbeat, like a cardiogram. It's a wave. It's a constant journey. And it's all part of one long journey. So when we think about where we are right now, and we're, even though it's, it's essentially uh, six weeks before, Hamish Rasubov is six weeks before Rosh Hashanah, but we're already beginning to live with the renewal of a new year, which will lead into Yom Kippur. Even though we're just coming from Tisha B'av, out of Av, part of the cycle of life, and it's an appreciation of the bigger picture, that even as we're dealing with the details, never forget the big vision of life of renewal, Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, That's what we remember on the 15th of Av. And the full moon reminds us. Here's a full moon. Yes, there was a diminishment. There was an injury. There was a begam, hurt, violation of the Malchus. But it's all building to a new year with renewal and sanctity and joy and everything that comes with that new year. Another question. Since on Tuba'ov it was customary for unmarried men and women to dance in the vineyards of Jerusalem to meet, to meet each other and make nusheduchim, since there are no vineyards in Crown Heights and in many communities, should single men and women have a dance on the roof of 770 in order to meet and make sheduchim? Okay. Usually with anonymous questions, people will take the liberty to be somewhat, uh, I guess uh, you want to say humorous, a little tongue-in-cheek. I read it unfiltered, uncensored, but let's let's tra- let's phrase it in serious terms. How how do we fulfill today the custom of young women and women meeting for shidduchim on the fifteenth of Av? So I have not seen in svarim, and from the Rebbe included that the fifteenth of Av is necessarily a day that people should particularly focus on shidduchim, something that all year round is the biggest mitzvah of all. But there's no question that the energy of the day, and based on what the Mishnah says, that it's a time, yes, it's a more opportune time. So, though nobody has a particular custom, at least not that I know of, um, but yet the idea that this is a day where we could daven for a shidduch, where we could daven for someone else, and on, on the contrary, if it's a day that inspires you to suggest a shidduch between a fitting uh, young man, a fitting young woman, by all means. The concept is very clear. I remember Tavshel uh, Namad Hay, 1975. It was Fabrengen, uh, 15th Av, And the Rebbe spoke a seum then on and brought this Mishnah and the Gemara and spoke about it. I remember saying that with the expression in the Gemara is that the B'nai of Shalam would go out and they would talk about their qualities, their ancestry, their lineage, their yichos, so their beauty and other things, obviously all within Kedusha. And then the woman would say, the maidens of Jerusalem would say, to Bocher, Bocher sonoyenecha, young man, raise your eyes to look. I remember the Rebbe saying about Shaduchim, he said, we see from this two lessons, That before the age of Shiduchim, and it's not the time yet, you shouldn't be looking. That's why she has to say, Raise your eyes, look at, gaze. And when the time does come for Ashiduch, then you need to look. Interesting. So the concept, of course, Chamisha Asabadov captures that idea. As I said, there are many things in Torah that you have, Minhagim, that are particularly connected to a particular day. And sometimes not necessarily a specific meaning, but it's the general concept and the general idea of building a binyan a binyan adayad, a base vadal chachomim, a home built on Ter mitzvus, as illuminated by Torah Sachsidis in the language of the Rebbe and his letters connected to wet marriage. That is definitely a day that gives more power and more kachis for this. I'm sure there are different. Um, Today you see a lot of people, especially pray or do other things on Chaimishah of, and that's chus. Again, if somebody has more information about particular customs written in Svarim, by all means, I'll, I'll definitely teyelus harabim for the benefit of the public. I'll share that as well. Okay, so let me use this opportunity to say a for all those that need a shidduch should be beshotev and it should be all in an in easy manner, without too much aggravation, or with no aggravation at all. To you find your right soulmate, do your make your kelia and your Ishtadlas, and Hashem will send His brachas to build a with the children, healthy children, that are built on spreading t- learning teir, and spreading teir and spreading the light of teir and bringing the gul Especially coming to Chaimishos it's a special bracha. And may be fulfilled because of each person's life. And those of us that already have our shidduchim, people already married or are going to get married, may it only be with much atzlochen. As the ragat Shavar tells Rab Chaim, marriage is something that's constantly, perpetually renewed. So there's always a need not to allow it to fall into automatic pilot, but to constantly renew the vows, renew the connection, renew the commitments, and have a, a marriage as if filled with vitality and dynamic and constantly growing, not just in the marriage between couples, but also in their family, and by extension, the community, and by extension, everyone they reach, to bring light in Teir, the light of Teir, and Yiddishkeit, to everyone you come in contact with. All in good health. Yeah. Why is this day called, one of the things the Gemara calls Mago, the day that broke the axe, they broke the axe. So, in Aramaic, Taber margel is they broke the axe. Taber from the word shvideh, to break the axe. So, one of the reasons the Gemara says is because on the 15th of Av is the day in Israel where the nights begin to get longer. So, and the days begin to get short. Obviously, it's, by, it's minute, but that's when it changes, the shift, end of summer, essentially. What's the significance of that? So, it says there that in the Beis they needed etzim, they needed wood for the altar. So, so it carbonates him. There was an offer, a, a, a offering of wood, but they needed wood for all the things, the, all the offerings that brought in the altar in the Beis The wood, like in the Beis had to be perfect. What does perfect wood mean? That burned smoothly, that burned easily. When was wood at its best? In the heat of the sun. The sun would, would dry the wood, to the point that it was really removing the moisture, removing also any worms or anything else that comes because of that moisture. So, in the heat of the sun, that's when the wood was at its best. As the sun began to get weaker, meaning shorter day, that's when they stopped cutting the wood. That's what's called they broke the axe. They broke the axe, meaning they broke the axe that cut the wood. That was a significant day because they stopped cutting new wood because they wanted the perfect wood only before that. That's the technical reason. But the Gemara continues. Because the nights are getting longer, and the reason for night is in order, to, the night was created only to learn more teda, more nights, it's a calmer time, it's a more introspective time. So that's when they also began to learn more. And that's why it says, that a person should begin learning more teda after Chamesha HaSibadov. The Rebbe would quote this very often. What's the connection between the two things? Because remember, the Beis Hamidosh is to bring Gilead Lekus in this world, V'shachanti B'seicham. And how is that done primarily? There's a difference between the Rambam and the Ramban, each one, what was the primary avoda service in the Beis So the Rambam says the primary thing was Karbonis on the Mizbeach. The Ramban says the primary thing was the Adan, the Tera, in the Kedesh Kedosh Kadosh. And the answer is, of course, both. You need both Tera and Tefillah. Tera and aveda, you need three things: tera, aveda, and gemils chasad, But tera and aveda, the question is, which is which, which is primary? Which one is uh, the, each of them? The Rambam, the Ramban, which is the driving force, or you could say the primary force? But both are necessary. The Ramban, of course, agrees that there was a Besam and there was karbonos the mitzvah. And the Rambam, of course, agrees there was an ordin, and everything that happened in the ordin kedush kadosh. So the connection of the Beis Amikdush with Teira and Tefillah is obvious in that context. So when you say that, that the wood that was brought in the Mizbeach, in order to bring the altar, that wood is part of, the, of preparing the carbon carbon from the word Kiruv to get closer to Hashem. So that's the connection, that since both Teira and Tefillah are both necessary, so in the Hamish of began another stage in that Avedah that the wood, that was always used, that was dry, was perfect till then, but they stopped using the wood then. That doesn't mean carbonus were not brought, obviously, were brought every day. It was brought from the wood that was stocked up from, uh, from the summertime and the time when they did cut the wood. But it's another stage in Aveda. In teda terms, it's another stage in Aveda that teda begins to get stronger. Whereas tefillah, even though tefillah is also there, but that's not fresh wood anymore. It's not using wood from the past. So both are necessary, and both are necessary all the time. The question is on what the focus is. So one of the explanations you can give is a chamisha above, a little more tater, and a little less wood, so to speak. But that doesn't mean that you don't need both. So what, what ultimately it comes down to is this, that on the 15th of Av is a day, a special day, where we focus on serving Hashem in a deeper way, but it begins a different stage of it, with now you're illuminating the dark more, and not just Shemashemoghan Hashem Aleikim, which is the bright of the light, which is also part of the Veda. What is a carbon at the end of the day? We're talking about a carbon, the carbon the carbonus the achitz in the outer misbeyach, was taken the Nefesh Shabbamis, taking the animal soul and offering it to God. And for that you need wood the wood to burn properly, in a proper way, which is an Ayurveda means that we take the wood of our lives and we transform it into a fire, a divine fire to consume all the animal soul and all the negative things the animal soul's interest and transform it, not just to to eliminate it, to transform it into Kedusha. And that takes another stage on the 15th of Av when the nights get longer so then the Aveda is more learning which is also affecting the nefesh habamis and it's, and it's also affecting in a way that we don't use the wood any longer because we're not chopping any more wood. Another aspect of that is chopping wood, breaking wood is a Aveda of having to chop, to chop a tree, to break the tree into parts, into pieces of wood. So that Aveda becomes less. Now it's more of Aveda, more b'menuche, not so much with an axe so that's the breaking of the axe represents the breaking of the negative part of the surmara, of the eskafya more, and more the transformation of elevating the animal soul. So these are some angles of understanding the, the idea of the day of breaking the, the breaking of the axe. Okay. And the axe, as we know, has a positive side to it, obviously, because you could break down the wood and you can use it for good things. The same thing with the animal soul, you could break it down. But then there's also the aspect of the time that's not about breaking, it's about, about transforming. Not to but it's Since we're on that topic, someone asked a question, which you can say is somewhat related to this. The question is, if it takes the wood of a tree to make the axe handle, to cut down trees, how did they cut down the first tree? So let's connect this idea to the gemara, the gemara that al brings in Tanya as well. So there the Gemara is talking about, which means that the wood of the tree is what cuts down the tree, meaning the handle of the axe. So there the Gemara is talking about the Nebuah of Avadja. Avadya was, of course, a great prophet, but he was a convert. He was a ger, ger tzedek. And his prophecies about Mashiach are of the highest of order. So the Gemara asks the question, why? Yeshaya, Yecheskel, Yirmiyahu, all said prophecies. And yet, the greatest is Zavadjah, the Ger. So he says, because since the Geul is about transforming the material world and transforming the world of Eden, coming from Esav, the material world, the world of the non-Jewish world, so you want to have... So who better to prophesy for the ultimate goal is transformation of a person who became... From Edom, he became a um, convert. he says at the end of the prophecy, the transformation of Esav to unite with the other with Yaakov in the Geula. And he uses this example, so perhaps he could add the chamisha the breaking of the axe. Is what does the axe represent? The axe represents that avoda of taking the wood of the tree itself, or the wood of an animal soul, and using it to transform it. And then there comes a time where that has to stop on the fifteenth above. But now goes the question that this person is asking if it takes the wood of the tree to make the axe handle to cut down trees, how do they cut down the tree to make the axe handle to cut the other trees without yet having an axe handle? So what comes to mind when you ask this question is actually a Mishnah Pirky Avis. The Pishna Pirkyavas says that the the, the ten things Hashem created, twilight at the end of creation. Before Shabbos, last minute, they to created 10 things on Friday, right before Shabbos began. Ben Yemashish out of Shabbos, And the last thing it says, Tzfas. Tongs. Tongs. Hashem created tongs. Because how do you make tongs? Because Tzfas, but asuya. You make tongs by creating a mold out of tongs. The way it was done in those days, they took a, a set of tongs, and they put it into, let's say, sand, made a mold, and they filled the mold with either hot metal or something that, or lead, that would turn, and that would that, that create the next set of tongs. But the question is, who made the first set of tongs? If tongs are needed to make the next set of tongs. So it says the Ebersh to himself. It's a beautiful seeker from the Rebbe on this topic, what this exactly means. Obviously, there are things we can create through technology. But it comes to show, and that's the real message, that everything in existence was made by something that the Ebershter first made. You when know, you look at a camera, it's a replica of the human eye. You look at an airplane, a replica of a bird. So even technologies are all built because the Ebershter made the first model. So it's linking everything that nothing is self-made. Now, that joke they tell about that scientist that turns to God and says, we don't need you anymore. Everything you can do, we can do. And Hashem says to the scientist, okay, show me. So the scientist takes a clump of earth, puts it on a, in a lab, and says, I'll show you that, we, that I'm going to be able to produce from this, from this clump of earth, from this earth, flowers and vegetation. And God says to the scientist, why don't you use your own earth? You're taking my earth and you're creating. So everything is yesh me yesh in this world. Tzvahs You take one thing and we reshape it. It could be fascinatingly reshaped. It could be do something that's tremendous. But we didn't create electricity. We didn't create subatomic energy. We didn't create all quantum mechanics. It was all part of existence from day one. We just didn't know about it. And then we learned to tap into it. So that's the message. So that comes to mind in asking the question who got the first axe to cut down the tree? It's always to remember that something is sometimes given to us from above. The Eberster gave us the power to transform this world. He gave us the power. And then he said, okay, now, once I gave you that power, now you can replicate that by building an axe from the tree that I've created, the wood of that tree. In Chassidus, there's a concept brought from Chaim. We know that all of, our, all of the world is held up by our voida, called Halos Man, the of a person. That's where every Rosh Hashanah, the world is anticipating for our Aveda of Shefer and through our taking on and crowning God as king to make God king. So the question is asked who did it the first time? When the world, when the world was created in the first place, there was no one there to create Aveda. So there's an expression in Eitz Chaim, It's brought in Tavshin Gimel. In other places. The Eberstah himself created the first halos man. something like there were no to consult. But the envisioned what it was like and it was like he created he envisioned and that inspired him the vision that they would do that in the future. So there's the concept therefore that the Abster initially does things in order for us afterwards to take that model and from that build so that could perhaps be help explain some of this idea of the axe. Okay. Being that we're also post tishabov which is also, of course, part of the whole uh, Chamisha Ha'asabov experience, so here's a few questions that came in regarding the fifth, uh, Tisha B'Av. Dear Rabbi Jacobson, We were very excited on Tishabov when photos and videos of a fox walking on the rune stones of the Besa Migdosh. Meaning in the in Jerusalem and the Temple Mount, was shared all over social media, and everyone was saying it was the fulfillment of a prophecy, and Mashiach's arrival was imminent. The prophecy, famous Gemara in the end of the Sukkah, where Rabbi Akiva and his colleagues were looking at the Harabai's, they saw the desolate destruction, and they began to cry. His colleagues, and Rabbi Akiva, began to smile, because they saw Shaulim Hilchim They saw the fulfillment of the tragic prophecy. They'll be, it'll be so desolate. Fox will roam there, like a wilderness. Fox don't roam in a place where there's, where human beings are serving Hashem and there's a Beis HaMidosh. So the fox represented, Rabbi Akiva began to smile because he said, the fulfillment of that prophecy, if you read further the prophecy, the fulfillment of the prophecy, that that will ultimately lead to the Gula, to the building of the Beis Ashlish. So, yes, yeah, so there's this question, so they're referring to the Sheolim Helchem Beis. So the fulfillment of that prophecy, a Mashiach's imminent arrival. My wife and I and our kids, I just gave some explanation. Let me continue now this letter. My wife and I and our kids each packed a suitcase and left it by the door and waited for the announcement that we are redeemed and are heading to Israel. But alas, Tish has ended and we don't yet see Mashiach. How do we explain this disappointment to the kids who are so excited and now they feel let down? So in a broader context, the question is, as I've received from other people, In different weeks, how do we address our children's disappointment that Mashiach has not come yet despite the different promises and signs? Including many different things from the G'deli Yisrael over the generations, especially recently. And and of course, the Rebbe himself talked about the imminence of Mashiach's coming and years have passed. And though there are signs and there are perhaps more revelations and many blessings, but Gula, Mitzvah, Shlameh, Lamata, Masar, Tfochim, in the literal sense where there's no more crime, and there's no more famine, and there's no more war, and we have a bais and we're reunited with our loved ones, even though there's tchufas. But the, that has not yet happened. So there's for many, there seemed like a disappointment. Another tishabov, another tishabov. The words of the Rebbe Tuvishvatov Shlomita: Zunti gezuch, monti gezuch, dinsti gezuch. Another year passed. Another year passed. So how could you not avoid a human being? Is after all a human being. We all have feelings. I'm just broadening the question. Obviously, it also applies to the question that you asked about this year with the science. So honestly, I don't have an answer that I think will satisfy anyone. The best answer would be that the Gula should come, and that's that, that we don't need all these answers. Every answer is gonna end up being some type of innovation, something cute, because the bottom line is, as the Rebbe said a number of times, especially in the later years, said, Abe Alz is grade, the world is ready, and we've finished all the work. So why did Mashiach taka not come? And the Reb would say, Chaptaka Kasha, that he has actually a question. So if the Reb had a question, we also have a question. And yet the question doesn't stop us from moving forward. So I'm not invalidating the question. On the contrary, the questions are very powerful, and we should tell our children absolute right to ask that question, why Mashiach didn't come. You had this sign whether it's the fox or the other signs and many signs and promises. And many positive things. Look at the world today. Look at Yiddishkeit, look at our freedoms. We're not living in a world 80 years ago, 100 years ago. There's unbelievable brachas. So many, many beautiful things. So it's all right to tell your children and tell yourself, we have a question. But questions don't stop us from moving forward. Questions are not excuses. The Rebbe once said in the Fabrenin, Amunah, faith is such a thing that a question doesn't weaken and an answer doesn't strengthen. So it's important to ask, and if you have any explanation, by all means. But that's not what defines our lives. What defines our lives is our forward movement, so, When the Jews were stuck between a rock and a hard place, the Egyptians pursuing them in the back, and the, the sea, Red Sea in front of them, or the Red Sea. And what they do? So they broke into four camps. This one said, let's surrender, go back to Egypt. This one said, let's jump into the water. This one said, let's pray. And this one said, let's go to war. And Hashem tells Moshe, no, all of them are wrong. So move forward. You have a question. You don't know. Do what you were told. We were given a job to do. Same Rebbe that told us that Mashiach is on the threshold. And same Delem also told us, here's our Veda that we have to do. And the Vedas, we have to do whatever we can in an unprecedented way, and ways that we haven't done till now, to bring message of Taylor, of Chassidahs, Yefutsu Mainasech chutzah to every corner of the world. Every person has to find what they have to do. So we have to tell our children the questions are very legitimate one, And we also, we understand that you could be disappointed, we're all disappointed, but we don't allow disappointment to run our lives. What runs our lives is our forward movement, the forward thrust, the complete confidence and commitment. Either disappointment can sometimes throw cold water or sometimes be like an impediment. It could be, that's our challenge. That we don't allow it to stop us. Just like you see people, Avdol, that run a business and the business then doesn't work out. They don't lie down and die, God forbid. They picked up the pieces and they say, let me take what I've learned and do better. That's how, a successful, people, how a successful people work, that's how leaders work. That's what we need to tell our children. So we're not dismissing and we're not ignoring and we're not denying the questions. There are many questions, but we have a job to do. We're soldiers in an army, in a military, and we were given marching orders. So we have to continue, v'yoso, move forward. This is it a difficult time? It is difficult at times. But that's why we're in it together, and we have to do everything possible to move it forward. That's what we were told, and that's what we have to do. And besimcha v'tuv levav, to do it with joy. Can I ask Rabbi J- another question? Can I ask Rabbi Jacobson to explain the sikha where the Rebbe quotes a Rambam, saying King Shlema built a hidden chamber underground for the ark, and 22 years before the Beis was, de- was destroyed, King Yesh- Ye- Yeshiyahu hid the ark there. I think the Rebbe explains that this chamber wasn't just a hiding place, but an alternate kedesh Kadashim. And since the essence of Hashem is revealed in the kedesh Kadoshim, Holy of Holies, and only the external parts of the Beis Hamikdash were destroyed by this, but this alternate kedesh Kadoshim is still intact, which means the essence of the Beis Hamikdash was never destroyed. I hope I'm understanding it correctly. My question is, if this alternate kedesh Kadoshim, Holy of Holies, still functions to reveal God's essence, and the Beis Hamikdash wasn't truly destroyed, why do we mourn on Tisha B'av? Or briefly stated, since King Solomon built a hidden holy of holies to demonstrate that it never gets destroyed, why do we fast on Tishabov? Okay, very good question. But think about it. It says in the Apostle, I'm asleep, but my heart is awake. Which means that even when we're asleep on a conscious level, and your eyes can be closed, but your heart is always awake. So you'll say, so well, that's enough. That's not enough. Now we have to wake up the rest of us to experience it. You could have the biggest giluim around us. Elucus itself, we know, an Yesh God is here just as He was always here. He's just concealed from us. So you could say, since He's here anyway, so we don't have to do anything. No, but the kavana, the intention is to reveal it, as the Rebbe explains in the Sikha Chelik Hay, Kute is Volume Five. That gilui is necessary. Geulah is not just for us. It's also for Hashem. To be a complete picture, we have to see it in a revealed way and be content and integrated and personal. Like someone will tell you, my heart is with you. You will come to them for an investment in business. They say, my heart is with you. I love what you do. But they're not ready to sign the check. They're not ready to put themselves on the line. They're not ready to, the bottom line, then the heart is with you. and may be true. But in this world, it has to come out in an apparent way, in a tangible way, in a concrete way. So though this true, the Ebrist wanted to give us and show us that even when the basic is externally is destroyed, there still remains a hidden place. Just like there still remains within us, a nitzutz, remains a spark, remains in a person, even a person who, God forbid, has done, who knows what. But we don't stop there. We say, okay, because of that, now we have a burning ember a spark, a pile of flame for which to work with. So the goal is now to reveal that hidden place that Shleim Mellah created and where Yisheyo put the un uh, and reveal it in a base of We're not satisfied. So that's why we fast on Tisha B'o, because we're recognizing that it's not manifest in the world. The world is still a world of many problems where godliness is concealed and as a result is injustice and pain and suffering and hurt and death. al and all the injustices that exist. So that we have to recognize. We don't just say, because the etzem is good, and somewhere there's the etzem. The whole purpose is to bring it out in a revealed way. That's what gu'ul is all about. Okay. The, next question. Why do we fast when eating is a way of placating the animal soul? There's a Hasidic teaching saying, we, we serve God, we serve food, at in order to satisfy the animal soul, so he's quieted down and doesn't interfere with the, nef- the divine soul's accomplishing things. If that's the case, why don't why don't why do we fast on fast days? It would seem counterproductive, as it gives this it gives the nefesh abamis, the animal soul, a chance to cause problems and interfere with the things the divine soul is trying to accomplish on that day. Okay, so this is an ex- a marshal from the a famous marshal. Also includes why we say lechaim. Famous Marshal, briefly, the father, an aging father king is, uh, wants to prepare his son, groom him to be the next leader, but he's young and inexperienced and also has been spoiled. He lived in the palace all his life. So the king decides to send him away to a distant land where nobody knows who he is. And he has to earn his own way so he should become sensitive and appreciate and bring out his inner faculties that he can really be a compassionate and empathetic king and lead the people but he knows the child may forget. So he sends him a letter, so he says, I'll send send him a letter several times a year to remind him who he is. When the letter arrives and the son goes off, I'm being very brief, the son suddenly remembers, he forgot, the father knew that he would forget. So he sends him a letter, suddenly the son remembers, so what does he do? He can't tell the townspeople who don't know who he is, hey, I'm I'm gonna be your next king, they may be offended, they may even hurt him. So he throws a party and he feeds them all, free meal, free drinks. So they're celebrating because they're getting a free meal. He's celebrating because he received a letter from his father. Says the Baal Tev, the king is Hashem. The Neshama is the child who in heaven hasn't earned his way, no challenges. So Hashem sends the Neshama down below and then we're made to forget, the Kolateter that we learned in our mother's womb. And we don't remember, the, the, the Neshama Beguv doesn't remember. But then Hashem sends a Yom Tev, a Shabbos, and other opportunities to remind us of Hashem, to remind us of our shlichus. And the neshama wants to celebrate. The problem is the animal soul has its own uh, agenda. So Hashem says, feed the soul, give it good food, obviously kosher food, Akidosh, Shabbos, Kugel, Kishke, and so on. I'm adding some details. So the nefesh, Abraham, says, loves it, having a free party, great food. While the nefesh of can celebrate unencumbered because it's received a letter from his father. So the questioner is asking, if that's the case, so fasting seems to undermine satisfying the animal soul. I think the answer is also quite obvious. This doesn't mean that you have to indulge and constantly be feeding your animal soul 24-7. It means you give it enough to keep it happy and make sure it's aligned. So Shabbos comes conjunctive. But there are days of the year where the animal soul can also be taught a little discipline. Today we're not going to eat. Today there's a special thing we're honoring. So it's true that it's, uh, if all year round we were fasting, you could say the animal soul will constantly, dip, uh, constantly um, disturb us because it's hungry. And then the sham will say, one second, I'm, I'm dealing with Hashem right now. The animal soul is not going to let us go. But a few times a year, it's important to remember, to remember that it's not always through a free meal and three cocktails. There are times that we have to also have discipline. That's the most basic answer. And the rest of the year, we have plenty of time to feed the animal soul all obviously in a, in a holy way, Kadusha, meaning dvarim mutarim, like he says in tanya, kosher things that are used, l'shem shemayim. But the animal soul is getting, is getting something for it, so the animal soul is at least cooperating in the process. Okay. Let's now move to Pashas Ekev. So the question, obvious question is, what is the general lesson from this week's portion? There are many different themes in this week's portion. We'll start with the name itself, the name of the Pasha, Akiv. So, Tishman, which means because Akiv is an interesting word. It means because you listened. And then he goes on to the blessings that come as a result. But Akiv also means heel, from the word Ekev, the heel of the foot. And also, Ikvus is the Like he brings in Svarim. And here's the next question, which connects to this. Did the Rebbe once say, Pasha Ekev is a hint of Ikvus in the What exactly does that mean? Does it mean Mashiach is about to come? How long are the footsteps of Mashiach supposed to be before he actually comes and builds the Beis HaMikdash? So of course this alludes to, also connected to this time, Ekev is always the second week of the Shiva de Nechemta, the seven weeks of comfort and consolation after Veschanan that we read yesterday, Shabbos Nachmu. So Ekev, therefore, in the Nechama, what's the ultimate Nechama after the Churban, is Geula. So there's a hint to it, hint to it, in Ikvis of the Mashiach. So it says that, the Rebbe brings it, I believe he brings it from Sforim, to Tzemach Tzedek and Eira So Ikvis of the Mashiach literally means the heels of Mashiach, the footsteps of Mashiach. It also refers to Ekev, that Ezel says, that history in time is structured like the body, with the earlier generations being like the head. So Adam Arishan was connected to the head of time, Adam Kadman, Adam Arishan. And the generations followed, this goes from the head downward. What's the end of, of, end of history, right before Mashiach? The Ekev, the heel of the foot. So Igvus and Mashiach is referring to the lower levels when the last birurim. So the birurim of the higher levels have been done, of the reish and the goof, Now of the regal, of the leg, and the leg itself. And Igvus and the Mashiach, Ekev. Like he says in Oves the Rab he brings there that everything that exists in, na- in existence is also within the microcosm of the human body. So there's a heart and there's uh, mountains and there's valleys, but there's what's achiv. The Ekev, that's Why? Because the Ekev is the most sens- most insensitive part of the body. That's why it can, it can buffer and absorb even walking on the ground. The Ekev doesn't have the same sensitivity like the heart or the brain does. So on one hand, it's a very, the, very, the, the nerves there, are very, the, the skin is thick and the nerves are very minimal. That's why there's no pain when we walk. God forbid, if you walked on another part of your body, there would be pain. That's that side of it. So there's very little is there. It's still part of the body. And it's all part of one body. But on the other hand, the ekev, this brings the example, when you want to put your, you want to test if the water is hot in the bath, what do you put? You don't put your head in, you put your, your heel in to test the water because the heel doesn't feel so much. That's, so Chassidus says, Mesidus Nefesh, dafkin the ekev. The simple are anoshim p'shutim, we don't have the Giluim, the revelations in this generation as they did in the time of Moshe, an enlightened generation, the time of the Beis HaMikdash, Bayes Today, we don't have those revelations. It's Esuseinu inu. We don't see the miracles. And yet, there's a certain simple dedication. Like he explains in the Mamorum of Pesach, Tav taken from the Mamorum of the Rebbe Rashav, from Tav Samach, uh, for, uh, for, uh, tofresh uh, tofresh, uh, um, uh, uh, tofresh Samaches. Yeah, Pesach Mamorim. That what? That uh, it's tough in This generation you have hoid, acknowledgement, and netzach, netzach and hoid. So there may not be Giluyim, but there's determination and there's basic Kabbalah sale. That's the Ekev. So Ekev has both qualities, and that's all hinted to in the word Ekev. So on one hand, it's the lowest level, but it's the other hand it picks up and raises the whole body and is able to have the messiah's nefesh of going into the most difficult situation and forging ahead. That's what Akev represents. So that's one of the lessons we take from that. Another person asks a question, how is the resurrection of the dead? Chis Mesam alluded to in Parsha Akev? So here again, you see an Akev a hintu ge'ula, as we talk, Shiva De Nechemta, De Nechama, after the Khurban destruction. So yeah, so it's actually a Pesach. The Pesach is in, uh, in Ekev, Yud Aleph, Chof Aleph, 1121, where it says, to give, to give to them. So the question, of course, is then is asked, Who's Lahem?" So Rashi says, To them. No, he's not just talking to, 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 to the people at the time. And to their fathers. So it's alluding to what will be in the future. So yet another hint to Geula in the Shiva De Nechemta Parshas Ekev. Okay. One more question on this week's pasha. According to Chesidus, what is the significance of Israel being a land that flows with milk and honey? Zovas, melech, vidvash Flows with milk and honey. So this, you can look up, Chesidus talks about what is Cholav and what is dvosh. So they both refer to two levels of blessings. One is Cholav is connected to, um, to, to Chesed. Dvash is connected to Gvuda. So even though Dvash, honey, is sweet, but it's a sweetness that's connected to Gvuda. That's why it says some of the Dvash, some of the honey comes from Dveridim, which is the honey, honey bee, the bee honey. And Cholov goes to Chesed. So it's basically referring to the Amshach of both Chesed and Gvuda. If you want to look up more details, go to Sefer Lekutim, the Samach Tzedek, where he talks about Cholov and Dvash, both those two entries and also connects both of them together. But that's briefly the point of the blessings, Cholav Advash. You also see, when it comes to children, sometimes milk and honey, and you talk about milk and honey are mixed together, because they both have a certain healthy element and are sweet to the, to the, to the tooth that children enjoy, which means in Ruchnias, it comes from a spiritual place of sustenance. Both are necessary for the nourishment of the neshama in general, and specifically neshama says they come down below in this world. So Eretz which of course embodied all the blessings had this element of Zavas Chol Okay, let's do one more question here regarding summer, since we're talking more in the summer here. And the Rebbe visited the summer camps. So someone asked the question like this, why did the Rebbe visit the camps? So we know the Rebbe visit summer camps, Gani Yisrael and Amunah three times. Yeah, 1956 and 1957 and 1960, the Rebbe visited the camps. And the first two times, I believe, he visited Israel and Camp Amunah, and the third time, only Ganisrael. Someone asked, in the 1960s, the Rebbe made a few visits to the summer camps, Ganisrael, and also the girls' camp Amunah, and gave a special fabringum for the kids. Can Rabbi Jacobson please discuss the story why the Rebbe made these visits and why he only did it a few times and not every summer? And also, please give a short synopsis of what the Rebbe said during the Fafabringas, I'm sure it's also relevant for the kids to camp in camp this summer. Thank you. Okay, so let's begin with one question at a time. Why did the Rebbe visit the camps? So first of all, just on a measure of uh, simply the priority. The Rebbe, the camps represented a tremendous force of chinuch. The Rebbe spoke many times the idea that children are 24-7 overnight camps. Are an environment of Tere, mitzvahs, and Chinuch al um which is uh, a tremendous thing. So, when the camps began, it was those years. So, the Rebbe wanted to show the, the value, himself going to the camps to visit them and speak to the children. So, in a way, there are many ways of launching it. And this is common. That didn't happen again afterwards because the Rebbe, once he established that type of preciousness and showed the value of it, didn't have to do it every year. And, but he would send messages, of course, to the camp and letters to the camp. And later years, when the camp would return back to New York after, after the summer, the Rebbe would actually speak to them as well, especially sometimes also that the children came to Fabrenge, and the Rebbe spoke to the children as well. So the value of the Rebbe of educating children was always extremely apparent and very powerful. Um, so, so that is uh, the very basic reason. I'm sure there are deeper reasons as well. Um, and as I said, why only a few times? Like in many things, I mean, you launch something, a, chinuk, a Chanukas HaMizbeach, or Chanukah HaMishkath, or a Chanukas HaBayas, in the beginning you launch it, then afterwards it has you give it like power, it's like a launch off, it's like a send-off. And once you give that power, then it already carries over the years afterwards. And it always remained legendary, those years when the Rebbe went there, he gave out a Mincha and he gave out Zdokin, and, and the negunim and the talks that the Rebbe delivered. As a matter of fact, in one of those talks we found notes of the Rebbe that he wrote for himself before he spoke one of the years. It was all printed in a sefer called Benoyez Desha, where they gathered together the whole history of the Rebbe going to the camps and notifying about going to the camps, and then, of course, the actual Sikhs themselves. The Tov I should add, 1960, was 200 years from Tov Kufchof. The Hiztalka the Yerzeit of the ba- Baal Shem Tov being that the camp is called Gan Yisrael, and the name is Yisrael, Baal Shem so that was one of the reasons the Rebbe said that year, Masayim Shoni is gonna go especially to camp to honor that, uh, the 200 years of the Baal The general gist of the Rebbe sikhis was, he spoke from uh, something from all the Rabbeim, about Aves Yisrael, about the power of, of uh, children, of children being able to do Aveidah, and different heros from each of the Rabbeim in strengthening the Yerush Shemaim of children. That was the general p- p- idea, to empower the children, to understanding the whole reason that they're in a machnekai, kites in a summer camp, is in order to cultivate within them the pride and the commitment and the inspiration to um, to be, that's grown to being powerful even, mm-hmm. that would inspire many others. And I've heard many stories of children who went to camp and were there when the Rebbe came and indeed had that direct effect. The Rebbe also rent, went around the camps and took like a whole tour all the details. I'll just share one or two stories that I heard at the time. Um, not at the time when it happened. I was too young. But later, that the Rebbe one thing when he came into the canteen, there was a sign on the wall that said, uh, "Money is the root of all elite, money is the root of all evil. Leave your evil here." The Rebbe told them to take down the sign and said, "Money is not the root of all evil." There was another story where they, you know, they cleaned up the camp to make it as nice as possible. But it's inevitable, there's always going to be some, something remaining. So they, in one corner of the camp, where they never thought the Rebbe would ever go, they put all the broken beds and, and whatever, everything that was a mess that they couldn't uh, clean up, they just dumped into the shed. And of course, the Rebbe did go every part of the camp, including there, it was not far from the lake. And the Rebbe said, what's in there? They opened it up. And uh, so when I put up a sign, Zecher L'Churben. It means remembering the churban, the destruction, because the place looked like a destruction. So the Rebbe smiled and said they should change it to zeichel le migdash, to remember the migdash, the Beis not the churban. So even that, even the churban, you could look at destruction as destruction, or you could look at it as the begin, remembering the Beis before it was destroyed and how it will ultimately be rebuilt. So even in that, the Rebbe found the positive. And many other stories that happened during the time, but the Rebbe was told very... Profound care and, and as I said, spoke to the children. And they, they, today we have pictures and we have even a video of some of it. And with those themes, especially of Avis Yisrael, the love of every Jew and every child and the power of every child to perform the greatest, to, to, to reach the highest levels of godliness through their simple Aveda as children. Okay. Let us now... Um, I'll do one follow-up, since we've been doing some Gimel Thomas follow-up. So someone asked the question, how is it possible to say tzaddikim never die, when we know in our physical world there are biological processes that occur that can be measured and doctors can therefore declare that someone physically passed away? Is this some variation of a theme in theoretical physics and probability called Schrodinger's rabbi, where the rabbi is alive and not alive at the same time? Again, a tongue in cheek type of thing. I don't know if it's appropriate here, but that's the way it was phrased. So, of course, this is a Maimach Hazal. Let's start. Sadikim, even in their lifetimes, they're called, even in their deaths, they're called life, alive. And the wicked, even in their lifetimes, are called dead. Because the question is, what is life and death? Biological life and death. That's not the tater definition. That's a medical definition. The tater definition is alive, is someone that's alive with emes. That's living God's truth. Like he says in Tanya, why does the tzadik continue to live on? Because his life is not chaim psodim. He's not a person of flesh and blood. His life is chaim ruchnim. Spiritual life. What's spiritual life? Ava, v'yira, and amuna. Love and reverence of God and faith. And that lives on. And that's why you see we can talk about Avram, Yitzhak, Yank, Sarah, Rivka, Rachel, and Leah thousands of years later because that part of them, Kruim Chaim. A wicked person could be walking on earth right now and breathing and healthy physically, but they're living a life that goes against God. That's not called life, that's called biological life. They're functioning, they're surviving. But real life is eternal life. Atam adveikim ba shemelekechim chaim kul chameim. And that's why a person like that, when they physically die, no one necessarily remembers them. On the contrary, many people want to forget them. Whereas a tzaddik lives on forever in that way. So it all depends on what you define as life. Yes, in Teda there's a definition, biological life is relevant to certain halachas. And we believe in that also biological life will return. But true life, that's what the Chazal is speaking about. And that's what we speak about when we say tzaddikim live on be You go further, Yaqav Loimes, because Mazare Afu his children are alive, so too is he alive. With all the different explanations, that's even a deeper level of eternal life. But that's the brief answer. And indeed, when we sit and learn Tera, and we're teaching Tayrah, who the Tera that we heard from our teachers in Arabaim, who may not physically be here in a way that we can see them with our physical eyes. But we say, Moshe Rabbeinu. Moshe Rabbeinu is physically not here. And yet he lives on through his teda, through his testimony, because that's what he was. His, his whole being was not about flesh and blood. It was about what he stood for. He stood for being a godly person. A godly person. That godliness lives on through him, through his teda, through his example. And we live it today just as we lived it then, if not more. And the same thing with the Rabbein. Same thing, of course, with the Rebbe. Much more can be said about this, and we'll talk about it more, but it's a good place to conclude here. As we prepare for the ge'ula, the imminent ge'ula, we forge ahead, we do what we have to do, soul, and we know that everything we were taught lives on through us. Mazare afu That's the whole point of why we're here, is to bring the God, the truth of godliness, and the chayim, that connection into our lives in a physical way to make this physical world into a dira b'tachtenim, into a home for the divine. May it be immediately. This has been My Life is Supplied, episode 460. We're here every Sunday, 8 to 9 p.m. Everyone have a continued leading into the month of El, in the fullest sense of the word, but primarily in the gulla amitis vashlaim. Be well and called to. Thank you. This program is brought to you by my life, Chasidis Applied. Please help us continue our programs. Make even a small contribution at Chasidisupplied.com donate.